0: first psalm of the Psalter, a tribute to King David, is a beautiful invitation to confidence in God. We will have it in today's Mass, in the response, Happy the man who has placed his trust in the Lord. Happy the man who has placed his trust in the Lord. The woman, the man... And then he gives a description of what that happy man, that woman, looks like when they have as the center of their universe this confidence. Not based on things going well, on physical health, or or financial wealth, or recognition, but trust in the Lord. It says, He is like a tree that is planted beside the flowing waters that yields its fruit in due season and whose leaves shall never fade and all that he does shall prosper. It's a beautiful image, of course, if that tree is planted next to a river. Its roots go deep down and somehow has access to that water and that's what makes it makes it prosper it's what what makes it that its leaves never fade and that is an image of what our confidence in God is like that we never fade all kinds of things can happen to us and if we if we look at that confidence and we see it in the perspective of God's love for us, we know that a beautiful expression of God's love for us is expressed in the fact that he has given us a divine mission here on this earth, a purpose in which we have to have confidence. And if one image is that we are like a tree planted next to a flowing river, an abundant river, the other image that Evokes the richness of this experience is the hidden treasure and the pearl. Our Lord says that uh, the kingdom of God. Here it's in uh, Matthew. It's in in the section where he talks about the parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a it's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it if we, if we found a great treasure literally a, a box or some kind of container filled with jewels and, and gold and we realized its value we would do everything to safeguard it protect it make sure that it wasn't stolen that we could safeguard and keep it and we knew that this treasure could be something that could last a long time it could be used a lot and it it would just not we would not be set back we would have a source of riches and energy there and we we would want to make sure that we could use all its power, all its grandeur, and let it truly enrich us. I mean, physical riches like gold, and they, well, they have a limit. Money has a limit. It can, en- of course, it can enrich us, but that kind of material power, financial power, or, or riches, has a limit in what it can do. But this treasure seems to be a real treasure that goes beyond simply financial or material wealth it's a treasure that that digs its roots in every aspect of our life including our supernatural life our interior life we would understand that without this treasure we would be poor we would somehow unable to be to undertake a lot and maybe like certain rich people it could happen though we have this great treasure we could see that with some rich people they get used to having all this of, we get used to having and accustomed to having all this wealth around us and one person told me he was working as a clerk in a store and it was a very high end store where you could buy like, you know, shoes that cost thousands of dollars and and make ne- necklaces, you know, like the ones on Bluer Street there, where they they take them away at night so that you can't look at them, you know. But uh, <laughs> so you don't, uh, well, I don't mean, breath- break the the window or whatever. But but he saw a lady come in with her, I guess, assistant, and uh, she would look around. She said, "Yeah, take, I would like that, and I would like that, <laughs> I would like that." She would point to all the things she wanted, and the servant would go and pick everything up. And these were multi-thousand-dollar items right you before you you buy something you would think okay is this worthwhile but she said yeah all those shoes I will have those shoes Uh, that purse, I think oh yes I will have that but well no I would actually like that one and uh, you know she like you just take it all in and she seemed to be not so used to this and almost comparatively unhappy not excited about getting such wealth and the, the servant didn't look any more excited either, right? He was just like, okay, she wants this, huh? she wants that. You know? And so, so everything was taken for granted. Now, if our vocation is like a hidden treasure, it's hidden, meaning not everybody can see it, not everybody discovers it. It could happen that we take it for granted. And we don't realize the wealth that we have at, within our reach. And we just get nonchalant about it, and therefore nonchalant about protecting it. But also, it is like a pearl. A pearl is unique to us; it's discovered, and we were allowed to find it. A pearl by nature is something you have to—you have to—you don't discover it by by accident, strictly speaking. You know. It's as though a pearl is something that God has been working at for years, just like that little pearl in its shell. I it's always, always find it uh, fascinating to see how a pearl is made. You know it's, it's, there's a little you know whatever an oyster or something like that, a little shell, and it's hidden away, protected with you know that, that little creature inside, and a little, a little piece of sand gets in there. And it works at it, it works at it, it works at it. I don't know how long it takes to make a pearl, but it, it must take quite a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the other image of, of our vocation, is that it is, you know, we were born, and when we were little babies, nobody had a clue, we were, didn't have a clue. But with time, things happened, and that pearl began to build. And a, and a very valuable pearl, I presume is one that's fairly large and fairly round and I don't know what the what makes for a great pearl but the, but in these two parables Jesus shows really the supreme value of the kingdom of heaven and the attitude that we have to have in order to attain it the kingdom of heaven and it's true that they're fairly similar, but the differences are, are fairly nuanced. The treasure refers to an abundance of gifts, a box or a treasure chest full of a variety of gifts. That's what you think of when you see a treasure. And the pearl indicates the beauty. A beautiful pearl mm-hmm. is the beauty of the kingdom, also the beauty of our vocation. The tre- treasure is something that is stumbled upon. The pearl is the re- result of a lengthy search. And in both instances, the finder is filled with great joy, especially when they first discover it. And we can ask, you know, do I have that faith, do I have that vocation, that the true wisdom true desire for heaven and am I filled with joy because we could run the risk of getting used to this vocation by seeing it perhaps too much in human terms and, uh, and yet it is so much more than that after you remember in 1986 well some of you remember others probably don't but uh, I still remember the moment uh, I was at the University of McGill, and uh, one of my classmates came up to me and said that the Shuttle Challenger has blown up, exploded. And honestly, I didn't know that the Shuttle Challenger was even flying at that moment. But the Shuttle Challenger was a, a spacecraft that was being launched, uh, you know for a special mission to go into orbit, and it had seven astronauts. And uh, we immediately went to some room where there was a, a big TV and, and people were watching, and they showed over and over the scenes of the Shuttle Challenger, you know, go up 1098, and we have liftoff. And it was a moment of great excitement, and then you could see it. It just suddenly exploded. It was a national tragedy. Both in the U.S. And, and in Canada, and that very afternoon or evening—I think it was in the evening—Ronald Reagan gave one of his best speeches ever. Imagine it had to be—it had to be prepared within that very day. And one of the things he said in that speech—it was really—it's one of the historical speeches of all time. But uh, he said uh, you know, we've grown used to wonders in this century. He said, it's hard to dazzle us. But for 25 years in the United States program, space program, has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space. And perhaps we forgot that we've just only begun. We're still pioneers, he said. They... The members of the Challenger crew were pioneers. And he addressed all the children who were watching all of this live. He'd spoken about the crew and their families. He and Nancy, his wife, had been very close to them. And trying to see this in perspective, it was a great tragedy. He said, I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes Painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery, he said. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. And then he addressed the, the people working at NASA and in the space program. And he said, your, your dedication, your professionalism have moved and oppressed us for decades. And we know your anguish and we share it. And this really brought together all the people from NASA, but above all brought together all the people of the nation. And in, I would say you know, in Canada as well, that you know that uh, the future is not for the faint-hearted. And you could say sim- similarly, our vocation is not for the faint-hearted. And sometimes difficult things happen. We have hard times sometimes. But our attitude, like in those parables, we have to be, you know, we go and sell all we have, and we buy that treasure. We buy it. And we're ready to go through whatever it is it takes to buy that treasure, to, to get that pearl. Whether it is detachment, Generosity. And these are elements that are indispensable to achieve that treasure. Our Father describes it like this. He says, anyone who understands the kingdom which Christ proposes realizes that it's worth taking everything, staking, staking everything to obtain it the kingdom of heaven is difficult to win no one can be sure of achieving it but the humble cry of repentant of the, of a repentant man can open wide its doors so we have to see what attitude real deeper attitude there we have for the kingdom in the sense the broader sense of the kingdom as as in working in the church as in belonging to the church as in spreading the love of God and more specifically also how our role is there in our divine vocation in the work. The humble cry of a repentant man can, wide, can open wide its doors. So we have, to, we have to be humble, we have to be repentant. It's part of why we seek to go frequently to confession. Because even though we are humble and repentant that's still a very joyful cry Mm? because in a humble and repentant cry we perceive deeply God's goodness and God's mercy who lets us start again and having that treasure having that pearl must really make us happy and I would say increasingly so as we get older because as we get older, we become more and more identified with our vocation. This is more and more who we are. And there's something that gets more deeply ingrained in us about our vocation. It's almost as though there's no turning back. You know, there was something quite sad about seeing our brother priest die, Father Gerald, who was the first priest I ever got to know of the work. Well, they're sad because he suffered and we will miss him with his uh, accordion and his good humor. And we felt the bonds that united us to him. But at the same time, hearing about somebody in the work passing away, we're filled with joy because we know he has crossed the threshold, he's fought the good fight. And uh, that was his life that was his life and, and it was a good life a happy life and I told you about that uh, this author Arthur Brooks describes happiness in the way you would take apart a meal at a banquet he said happiness is like a banquet and it is not accidental of course that, that the kingdom of heaven is also described as a banquet the banquet of eternal life. And uh, you can describe a banquet in terms of its ingredients, its taste, its dishes, its desserts, its main meal. But you can also describe it, he says, in terms of its macronutrients. What are the macronutrients in a meal? I'm sure you know this. Proteins, carbs, and fat. There's somebody who is... Uh, helping me in the uh, exercise program and he told me take a picture of each one of your meals right? <laughs> so looking around and <laughs> <laughs> take, take a picture <laughs> say I want to know you know how many proteins you're getting and blah 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 and you might have to eat more and uh, so you know, the chicken and veggies and whatever it was uh, we had there and uh, you know and then I have to take a picture of the dessert <laughs> Take a picture of the dessert <laughs> I feel kind of weird doing that. But uh, you know, but he studies it and then he'll tell me whatever. But the, the three macronutrients are proteins, carbs, and fats. But in the, the macronutrients for happiness are enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. Okay. People have different balances in that or bi- different uh, concentrations of that. And those that are truly happy in their life have all three in abundance. They have joyment or joy, they have satisfaction, and they have purpose or meaning in what they do in abundance, like, like tons. Our father had this in abundance. He, he was always very fun to be with and get-togethers. He was not like overly stoic or, or angry. He was happy to be with us. And uh, that's why Father Joe wrote that book, Master de Buen Humor, Master of Good Humor, in which he describes how our father was a master of good humor. And that's because he had those 3 macro micro-nutrients. And they're all three and well-balanced. And those people who, ha- who are out of balance in these three, they have too much of one or too little of another, if they are asked, they tend to define themselves as unhappy. So if we are unhappy or if we meet somebody who is unhappy, habitually, then we have to dig into one of those dimensions. Which one of those dimensions, enjoyment, satisfaction or purpose, is kind of flailing or missing? What is enjoyment? Well, enjoyment is a combination of enjoyment. It's pleasure, but it's also a sense of elevation. Right? But that's only part of the equation it also has a deep element of connection we are connected with others and we need that connection it's part of the the treasure that we have in our vocation we have the connection in fraternity and i mean it could be enjoyable to read on our own or i don't know do something on our own do you know go for a walk is but but that connection is part of the formula. And uh, that connection is how we develop friendships and develop our mission. And that's why friendships are deeply uh, enjoyable. We we connect with others. And we know that our mission that we have received in our vocation is not for ourselves. It's somehow where we give ourselves to others. Yet In that process of giving ourselves to the others, we ultimately become very happy because we have that enjoyment, because we have uh, that satisfaction in doing that, and we have the greater meaning or purpose. Really you could say, I suppose, happiness is just a byproduct of living our lives in a meaningful way. And the most meaningful way we can do is really to be those apostles in the middle of the world. and and for that we have to be well well centered we have to be built on rock we can't have happiness as a goal in and of itself I'm going to do this in order to be happy it's a byproduct it's always a byproduct and uh, if we just go out in order to enjoy ourselves it's a recipe for disaster we're not really seeing the ingredients that make up happiness. We would not be building our house on rock. What does the Lord mean when he says that we must build our house on rock rather than on sand? He wasn't simply speaking about uh, engineering. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does and does them Will be like a wise man who built his house upon rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, or does not, not put them into practice, will be like a foolish man who built his house upon sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was that fall. It seems to suggest you you can hear the words, but then not put them into practice, not live them, and you'll be like that foolish man. It's almost as though it's it's directly related to what you might call non-practicing Catholics, people who perhaps believe, and they even... You ask them if they believe in the creed. Yeah, but they never go to Mass. They, 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 they never put this into practice. They, they live uh, skewered uh, lives. And then everything implodes when they have a hard time. That wise man alludes no doubt to Solomon, who was the son of David, who was known for his great wisdom. And he also, of course, built the Lord's house. He built the to- the temple in Jerusalem on huge, huge foundations, great foundational stone. But that image of the of the house built on rock is a very striking image. You know, we like well built houses. We like well built temples. We all like these things that are dependable. Some years ago, there were some floods in uh, in Saguenay in, in uh, Quebec, and the, the news picked up this image of this river, and there was a house next to it, and and it was just a live feed. You could see the house just crumbling into the river. It just just fell apart because, I don't know, it hadn't been built on something solid when those floods came. The, it was just, just a dramatic image of this biblical account, of this parable. And they, they played this on a loop over and over. This enduring house is like the soul and it is maintained only through hard work and labor, and the materials that that rock are our prayer, grounded in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sacraments. But the foolish p- person just neglects the construction and maintenance of that of that building, and it has weak foundations. And uh, the weak foundations would be just. Given too much importance to wealth and success, uh, or even the work is not truly inspired or, or done for the Lord. The work is not apostolically motivated. When we do our work here, if it's not apostolically motivated, or if it's not done for love of the Lord, we sh- should think of ourselves as well, we're building something, but it's on weak foundations and we won't last. And uh, we are our house vocation would be like a, like a brick house that would be heading for burnout and uh, and there are many people today in this time now that suffer from burnout and, uh, and so we have to really ask for that stability and build that stability expressed in faith in God's providence, supernatural outlook in the face of unforeseen and unforeseeable events. The Father said, practicing with all its consequences a daily attitude of hopeful abandonment to God's will grounded on divine filiation. That's our rock right there practicing with all its consequences a daily attitude of hopeful abandonment to God's will. And uh, there are many people suffer today from this burnout. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they have lots of investments, they have lots of money, but then they, though they have lots of investments, a lot of money, but they end up working 80-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. Or professionals who have plenty for retirement And they have retired, but they still keep coming back to the office. And uh, it is as though uh, their heart is, you know, in something other than really the Lord. Well, let us ask uh, the Lord to help us build this sound rock. And as we do that, we will find our treasure. And we'll do everything it takes to keep that treasure that love of God, that vocation that we have received. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.